You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So, Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life, from the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring, though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. So how's your weekend, Vic? Oh, you know how weekends go when you've got three annoying brats living in your house? Living the dream? Living the dream. <laughs> living the nightmare. Yeah, well, you went away as well, so it wasn't even... It was kind of a holiday, I guess. We went away for the weekend and it was just hard work. Like sometimes, Hamish, having kids is wonderful and Mm. we love it and wouldn't change it for the world. Other days, 
it is just bloody hard work. So what actually happened? Nothing really. Nothing. They were just not getting on and just arguing all the time and getting annoyed with each other and, and not if they didn't get what they want. There was a big argument. Oh, this is the problem. Like, I set myself up for failure, right? Okay. I do nice things like buy them Pez heads. Do you know what a Pez head of is? Of course. So you've got the refills, you've got the yeah. sweets, you've got the head. So we were in a supermarket. They said, can I have a Pez head? I said, yes. Mm-hmm. So then the whole weekend was based around how many Pez head sweets they could have at each oh, interval. Okay. <laughs> and there was arguments you over who had the more... them. I was trying to ration them and then they were having breakdowns when I said they couldn't have them because I hadn't behaved. And in the end, I stamped on the pet heads. All three of them? Yeah. Crushed I was them like, no, no, I just said, right, these are out. I took them away and I threw them in the bin. I stamped them out mentally. Oh, I would have liked the image of you stamping on them in front no, of the children. I stamped them out as in we're never having them again. Yeah. I didn't actually take them out and crush them in front of their yeah. eyes. Well, <laughs> see, this is a light-hearted conversation, but this is important because I do think the stresses that come with parenting can be a trigger for people into relapsing. I know that you can have a stressful weekend now and not think about booze, but how do you actually feel when you have a weekend when all three are being a nightmare? Well, actually, I'm not triggered by it in the sense that I want to have a drink, but in those moments, I do think... I can imagine why I wanted to have a drink. Yeah, okay. So I know I wouldn't have one. That's where you But are, I can it? see like, oh, this is the moment where I would really like just to sit down and just numb all this out. Mm. Because often as a parent, you feel like you are not in control of the situation. You feel like that when you have your first kid, you feel like you will always be in charge and that they will listen to what you say and, and do what you want. But that is not the case. Like yeah. and at times you can feel like you're failing and that you're losing control of a situation. And it can be very demoralising. And that's where I sit in the evening with my husband just go like what are we doing wrong Mm. why are our kids acting in this way we didn't raise them to be like this and answer back and and have these huge meltdowns and stuff what are we doing wrong so it can be quite confronting and I totally understand why people would drink in that situation because it is a loss of the self and you you do feel like you're not doing a great job and it affects you mentally Mm. because I ended up in tears on the way home just going I cannot do this like this is so hard I haven't enjoyed enjoyed my weekend away I love you all and I want us to get on and now I'm dreading our holiday together coming up in a few weeks Did time you say that to them? yeah I said oh, I don't feel like going away like we're not getting on everyone's shouting at each other and this isn't working anyway I think we're going to get a therapist to come around this week a oh, family you? therapist yeah. yeah I mean I'm all up for working yeah. out why things are happening I think it's a healthy way to be is to say look I don't feel like I'm doing a good job in some mm. situations and I need some help which is what I did with my drinking and I think that can come with parenting as well as like, actually I feel like I'm I don't know what I'm doing and I'm losing my temper which isn't helping anyone I'm teaching them how to shout mm. at each other mm. and it is my issue like I feel like partly Partly it's just kids being kids, but partly it's I think I could learn something as well. How did the kids react when you had it out? When you sort of went honest like that, how did they take that? They all went quite quiet and yeah. they could see that I was upset. They don't like to see me crying and I don't like to cry in front of them because I don't mm. want to look weak and I don't want them to feel like I've they've upset me. But at the same time, it gets to a point where I'm just like, oh guys come on like we love each other like why is this happening like let's just all kind of regroup and like, this isn't this isn't okay i do think it's important for parents to talk about this because there is that element of feeling like you're failing or for us what we've had every now and then more when you have a sleepless night you 
will be angry with the child and the child is just being a child. In our, you know, yes. in our situation, it's literally a baby just being a baby. But there's guilt and then in you'll there. Feel, well, yeah, well, then you'll feel like, I'm really not enjoying this. And mm. then you feel guilty, like, I'm not enjoying being a parent. You know, it's been to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And oh my God, I'm so lucky to be a parent. Loads of people want to be parents and aren't or can't. And then you feel guilty that you're not loving every second of it. Mm. I think people beat themselves up quite a lot about it. Yeah, for sure. And I, that, that I is, definitely do. That is dangerous ground for, yeah. for anyone who's had an addiction problem or anyone that sees drinking as a as a way to sort of take the edge off a difficult day. Totally. I mean, that is mummy wine culture right summed up right there, Hamish. Mm. It's the reward for failing sometimes, like feeling like you're failing, like, oh, God, I fell. Well, at least I can have a glass of wine and just chill out and not worry about it. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the cause of, of mummy wine culture is exactly what I felt this weekend. And mm. I can understand it. Like to want to numb out those those terrible situations is totally understandable, but it doesn't solve anything. Doesn't solve anything at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, we made up by yesterday evening and actually we went round some mate's house and had a nice barbecue with some friends and it was all all right by the time they went to bed. But, yeah, it is hard sometimes. Yeah. Well, I had a tricky weekend on the other end of the scale, which was I had a sick baby, Mm. which is always not very serious and I feel for anyone who's ever had a really, really sick child. But it was the first time he's probably been sick. So a fever and like panic crying sort of looking for us and, oh, yeah, waking up crying because he's I don't know, think I've ever seen him cry no no he's not a big crier at no. all so that brings with it quite a lot of stress yeah but I think that's sort of what we're talking about this episode is not so much stress but turning to alcohol to deal with grief or really any kind of trauma yeah So I've mentioned on a previous podcast that when you first asked me if I wanted to co-host this with you, I had this terrible thought that during the recording of this podcast, someone that I really, really loved would pass away and I'd be forced to talk about it publicly and while sober on a podcast. Now, thank goodness, touch wood, that has not happened for me yet. But I do think this is an important episode to relief anyway, to either help you through grief or trauma or to help you prepare for that day. Yeah, you're so right, Haim. The two do come hand in hand. We've spoken a lot on this podcast about navigating the big social events while sober. We've spoken about drinks, parties, weddings, dance floors, pubs and karaoke. We've not really delved into some of the darker times. This is a subject that I feel both well-equipped for and totally unprepared to talk about. Equipped insofar as I've another podcast called Extraordinary Ordinary People, where I talk about grief a lot and how we can help people through theirs. But underprepared insofar as I've got very little first-hand experience of it and none at all as a sober person. So those are the bits that I'll be turning to you, Vic. I hope I can help you, Haim. I'm not sure I have much experience of this either, quite honestly. It's such an important topic to discuss on this podcast. Grief and alcohol have sadly come together for as long as we can remember. In fact, many people develop an addiction to alcohol when self-medicating through grief or trauma. It can also lead to those of us who have worked hard to get sober, sadly relapsing. Yeah, this is exactly why we are here, to help you avoid falling into this same trap. By the end of today's episode, I hope that we can help you understand why turning to the bottle to numb out grief, or any pain for that matter, is not a wise choice. And we will teach you a few tricks of our own to help you prepare for and navigate these situations when sober. One of the things that I found most frightening when I began researching the connection between grief and alcohol is that not only do most people drink through grief, 
But more importantly, this is the time when an addiction often begins. Yeah, scary. Many people turn to alcohol when coping with grief, either stemming from their own terminal illness diagnosis or from watching a loved one grow sicker. Could be for many reasons. Losing someone is certainly one of the most upsetting and painful experiences anyone can have. It's common to go through a wide range of emotions, from anger and denial to sadness and despair. Each person goes through the grieving process differently, and they don't always do it in the healthiest way. Sadly, self-medicating all that emotional pain often leads to alcohol addiction, with grief's impact on mental health taking a serious toll, even for the seemingly strongest and most resilient individuals. For many of us, it's comfortable and familiar to drink directly after a negative feeling, to cope or take the edge off. It's also easy to be able to rationalise that drinking after experiencing a hard day. You might tell yourself it's relaxing or even sleep-inducing. So why does alcohol have this effect on us? We've spoken a lot how alcohol releases dopamine, which effectively makes us feel happy, but only at first. Its ability to slow down the nervous system might make you feel relaxed and drinking to excess might even put you in a state of blackout when you think about very little at all. When dealing with grief or a similar trauma, drinking to the point of no thoughts at all can sound very appealing. How have you dealt with grief in the past and have you had to experience any at all since going sober, Vic? Well, I realise when you ask this question, because Hamish emails me these questions, don't we? We take yeah. turns in writing these kind of outlines of our scripts each week. And I really had to sit down and think about this one, Hamish, and I realise that I have never grieved which is strange because I have known people that have died. And in my drinking days, alcohol was how I processed a death, which I think it will be very, very common thread for most people who so are drinkers. Interesting. So you've experienced grief, but you have never grieved. Exactly. Those things can be separate. Yeah. I have yeah. never grieved because I drank. And that was the way that I almost celebrated that person's life or commiserated their death. Yeah. Grieving was alcohol which is terrible to say now, looking back. I do feel quite bad about it. Even the tsunami, of course, I witnessed after flying back into the disaster zone. I saw a lot of death. And, you know, the only thing I thought to do was to pick up a bottle of vodka out of the sand that had washed up and drink it through. And again, I kind of told myself, well, I'm celebrating the life of the people that have died. Yeah. But now looking back, I realised I was probably just numbing out a lot of pain and because I was seeing some crazy stuff, like coffins piled up everywhere. You know, yeah. that would have caused some trauma in me but of course I drank through it some other things that I do regret in the way that I didn't deal with grief was the last conversation I ever had with my nan I was drunk um, and I feel really terrible about that still but then again I didn't know any better and and that was just how I dealt with her being unwell and I was being on the phone with her and being all friendly and but I can't remember half of the conversation yeah. and then she died quite soon after that and I have a huge regret and maybe I drank after her death because I felt bad about that because mm -hmm. we have to go to like different levels here don't we You've got to go underneath the drinking yeah. and understand why I was drinking instead of just going oh well I drank because I drank it's it's really interesting to peel back the layers of why we drink and also if anyone died that I knew it was always drinking at the funeral we just pretended you know that's what they would have wanted always that's Funerals what the person would have wanted yeah massive piss-ups yeah and we do we kid ourselves mm. like I wouldn't want everyone to get drunk if I died mm. I think oh well why don't you just have a nice you know game scrabble <laughs> I wouldn't want them to get drunk. I want to come to your funeral, but I don't know if I want to play Scrabble with other people mourning. 
<laughs> You're not invited. No, thanks. I'm not coming anyway. <laughs> oh dear. So I've had have I have had some run-ins with death in my life. I actually heard somebody die once, which was what? Yeah, very traumatic. How? I realise now. I I was in hospital in Thailand with dengue fever mm. and they brought someone in who'd been in a motorbike accident and I heard him take his last breath. Oh my god. Yeah. And I remember the next day having a drink for him, saying, oh, that was a shame, and cheers to that bloke who I never met. It's a very strange way to deal with something, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas, in fact, Hamish, I was probably traumatised. Mm-hmm. Scary looking back. I mean, the one thing I do grieve about is my old life. So that's definitely a different sort of grief, that when you get sober, you sort of grieve the person that you were. Yes. That's not really related to, like, dealing with trauma here. It's a very different feeling. I always drank away sadness because that's what I was meant to do and I never, ever questioned it. But since coming becoming sober, I do obviously not drink when I experience grief and I find that that helps me process my emotions a lot better and I can get over something and understand the reasons why it happened. Unfortunately, one of my cousins died. In fact, two of my cousins have died in the last few years and it is absolutely traumatic for everybody involved and I felt I wasn't a useless mess in those situations I felt that I could talk to people and communicate with my auntie whose her her only daughter had passed away and and be honest and open and loving to her in a way that didn't involve alcohol even if it was over an email there weren't any drunken texts or anything like that so I'm so sorry I was really open and honest with her and 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 helped her through it in some ways you know I was able to have good conversations about it so I have dealt with death in some ways since being sober, but but not directly. Of course, my son Freddie nearly died and, you know, that is so confronting that of course I never even thought about grieving because I was so determined that he wasn't he wasn't gonna die. But I cope now when I get sad news. I'm much more level headed and I can process the emotion as I said. Death is strange. If we think about it too much, it can make us feel very, very vulnerable and it makes you question everything, doesn't it? So I try not to, in my sobriety, think about death too much because it takes you down a really negative pathway. I mean, we know we're all going to die and we don't know how we're going to deal with the death of loved ones until it happens. I feel like I know I wouldn't drink in those situations, but I definitely try and live a little bit more in the now so that I don't have to process all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a famous quote by Eckhart Tolle, which springs to mind here, which is, realise deeply that the present moment is all you have. Make the now the primary focus in your life. That came up because I think of fear. I fear the death of my parents and I fear something happening to my children. So therefore, I find it easier to try and think about the now and block those things out because I don't know how I will deal with them in the future. yeah. Yeah. And also, I just wanted to one, add one last funny story here to to my awful negative death stories. I was in the car this week with Freddie, and he, he was really upset. He was crying. I was like, oh, Freddie, what's wrong? What's wrong? He just went, Bob Marley died. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he died like 30 years ago. He's three. Whoa. How yeah. did he even... No idea. Just came out with it. And you always like reggae. So yeah, it's more, I don't know, he must have heard it somehow. Has he yeah. ever said anything you're more proud of him for saying? I know, I was like, yes, Bob Marley has died. Let's that is my together. child. Yeah. Bob Marley did die. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got a video of it. I'll share it with you. I did, you were on camera. Yeah, but I, he said it and I picked it up and I said, what did you do say? Again, mate. Oh, yeah, again. I said, what did you say, Freddie? He said, Bob Marley died. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Anyway, back to dying, Hamish. Yes, good. <laughs> Cheery. Cheery. Uh, well, for, yeah, for me... The last time I did like a stint of sobriety was in 2015. And in that year, my grandma died, who I was really, really, really close to. 
And my uncles and my mum are not really close. So it was the first time that both of my uncles and my mum had all been in, like, in all of my life that I can ever remember everyone in the same place for this funeral. Um, and I can remember at the time feeling sad that I couldn't drink. I was like, you know, we're never all going to be in the same room again, which I guess is what funerals mm. are. It's, it's kind of like a, fa- a wedding and you're like, this collection of people will never be in a room together. So let's celebrate it by drinking if you're at a wedding or let's, you know, kind of celebrate it by drinking if it's a funeral to, yeah, commemorate the person that's died, which is quite a weird thought. Yeah, it's you... like a tradition, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's an odd it's tradition, like champagne. really. Champagne, like champagne is meant to be the celebration drink, yeah. not the funeral drink. But What I've do been people to drink at funerals? Champagne, do they? Yeah, I think so. Right, okay. I haven't I been think... to many funerals, yeah. actually. The difference between a funeral and a memorial, I guess the memorial is more like a celebration and a funeral seems to be more for the immediate family grieving. I'm not sure, I haven't been to many of these, but but memorials what that I've been to are like parties. There's a DJ yeah. and there's drinks and there's canapes and there's like right. a few hundred people there rather than, you know, this is only people that die young and so have hundreds about, of people. I was about to say, it very much depends granny, on not. who has died, doesn't yeah. it? So it depends on the level of commiseration and celebration. If it's a child that's died, it's a completely different situation. Yes, Whereas if it's them. someone who's lived a full life into their 80s and 90s or whatever age and you feel like they got a chance to live, mm. it's a very different situation. You can celebrate their life. I guess we just we don't know how to celebrate things without alcohol as a society mm. you and i obviously do and anyone that's sober does but the world is not caught up with that so no. we still think you know a, a funeral should be about celebrating someone's life 100 percent. it shouldn't all be doom and gloom it should be an element of you know grateful that you were as close to someone that you're even at their funeral and um, but we just don't know how to celebrate it yeah but i can specifically remember feeling sad that i couldn't drink on that day of my granny's death because all these people are here and my granny's died you know there's only four of us at the funeral. So I thought right. it's such a, you know, close-knit family moment. Mm. But yeah, I didn't drink that day. And I remember it being one of the hard days that I didn't drink. I think what you've touched on there, Hamish, is very interesting, is that as a culture and a society, we don't know how to communicate our feelings mm. in that situation. So somebody's died and we're at a loss as what to do. So therefore we just all get drunk. Yeah, That is it. Well, what else is there to do? Nothing else is going to make us feel better. And we, we program our brains into thinking, well, this is what we can do. Let's get the drinks out. Everybody can have a good time. We'll think about that person that's gone. And that's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's actually quite toxic, isn't it? Yeah. We don't have to do that, we're starting to realise now. And actually, we could just have a nice time and have nice, honest conversations about that person. I do think that's a bit of a shame. But to I've, end... got, I've got a theory on this. Okay, go. So I think because a funeral or a memorial is, you know, a few hours long and there's loads of people there, so basically you don't actually process any grief during it. No. 100 people there, you have lots of two, three-minute conversations, you might share a funny story and everyone has a drink. And so I think those are the rules of a funeral. Mm-hmm. We're here for a few hours. Really, you're not going to scratch the surface. I went to a funeral, a school friend of mine committed suicide and he was Belgian. So there were four of us got in a car together in London and we got the Channel Tunnel and we drove there and it took us ages and ages. Then we spent the weekend there and we drove back. And because there was an extended period of time and none of us had seen him since school when he died four or five years after we left school, because there was such a long period of time, we had days to talk about it and process it. I have like really fond memories of that. I think it was a long weekend we went for because we actually had it out. You know, mm. We actually dealt with 
dealt with the grief because 90% of the time we were there, we weren't drunk. So I think there's something in the fact that funerals are such a short snapshot of a period of time that you, you're you not going to grieve during a funeral. I don't think yeah. families particularly enjoy it. Friends just go, oh, screw it. You know, with two, three hours with a group of mates, drinking is what we do. Yeah. Um, so I think there's something in that. I think a funeral maybe should be days long I know that's not well, really no, doable no no I, I think, think in different cultures they deal with death in very different ways and I do think in India sometimes the the funeral goes on for a while right who designed the funeral that's what yeah. we want to know like who designed it to, to be a drinking festival yes. whereas I'm sure in other countries there are better ways to deal with death than we do in the western culture because we don't get a chance to process it at this one function perhaps there does need to be something that's more drawn out different events over a five-day period like a Indian wedding for example where you do get to connect with the people there and hear the real stories without it being this three-hour thing where you just throw booze down your neck. Yeah. I know that I would like to be remembered and my friends get together like you did with your mates in that car for that drive and remember that person and talk about them and, and feel like you processed something mm-hmm. on that journey. It was more of a journey than you realised that, Hamish, wasn't it? Journey. <laughs> journey yeah so yeah it's interesting the way as a culture that we deal with death is to like get it done get it you know get the funeral out of the way and try and get on with our lives and actually maybe we need to carry it on a bit longer and talk about it with the people there and have a way of communicating after the actual event yes so i think otherwise you just go home and then basically you deal with grief alone yeah with a room full of people all who shared this love for the person yeah but actually you probably just chat shit get drunk and then over the course of a week or a month or a year or years after the funeral is probably when you actually do the work and, and start processing it. Yeah, and maybe it could be a quicker process. Like, yeah. you know, it's interesting. Very interesting topic, actually. If you would like to support the Sober Awkward podcast, we're excited to announce that we've joined Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform which allows you to give back for the content you love. By buying Sober Awkward a cuppa once a month, we can keep the giggles coming and continue sharing our sobriety message. By joining Patreon, you get access to Sober Awkward merch, extra content, special promos and loads more. Just find the link in the show notes or head to patreon.com and search for Sober Awkward. And together we can learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway. What are some of the reasons that we should not turn to alcohol to help us through grief? Okay, the obvious one is it simply doesn't really work. To start with, alcohol is a depressant. So why would you drink it to make yourself feel better? True. What does depressant mean? It means that it reduces arousal or stimulation and slows down the messages between the body and the brain. As a result, it can make it harder for people to process emotions. It can leave their feelings unresolved and delay the process of coming to terms with grief. I saw it described in an article that I read as trying to repair a foundation with duct tape. Oh, gosh, yeah. Which is right, isn't it? Right, yeah. You know, you can't feel the feels, can you, if you're just kind of like patching up the wound? Yes. Yeah. What might start out as an innocent enough tool to deal with traumatic experience can quickly get out of hand. The issue is with a reliance on an addictive substance such as alcohol, it can mean you begin to require more to get the same effect. And that is a slippery slope, people, into addiction and mental health issues. Yes. One recent study shows that both men and women with major depressive disorder and complicated grief have much higher rates of alcohol dependence compared with depressed individuals without complicated grief. Hmm. 
Researchers who investigated the effect of grief on brain function found that complicated grief triggers the nucleus acubens. Acubens? I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I hope you know the word. Acubens, mm. which is a part of the brain's reward centre. Cucumbers. The... Sorry, let me say it again. Grief that triggers the nucleus cucumbers, which is a part of the brain's reward centre that dictates addiction-related behaviours. Brain scans of affected individuals show that activation of neural pathways took place in the area of the brain that is associated with a longing for alcohol and drugs. This suggests that memories of loved ones could promote addictive behaviours in those who suffer from complicated grief. It's funny, when I've spoken to my sister Louise, who's nearly 25 years sober, about grief, one saying they have in AA that addiction is the result of unresolved grief. And now whether that grief is over someone dying or your parents splitting up or because of a lost youth due to abuse or anything like that, any sort of grief that is unresolved can and lead you into an addictive behaviour. So that's really interesting. It doesn't yes. have to be actually a death. It can be the, the, a death of part of your life or a sadness over a situation that can cause this exact same level of grief within your life, which then can lead to addiction. Yes, that's that's awesome. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's often a good idea to look at those that have gone through grief the most to see if there is something you can learn from them, like my sister, Sadly, those that join the army and go into war will experience significantly more trauma and grief than the rest of us. And the numbers behind this are telling. Alcohol is the most abused substance in the veteran population, not to mention the reported binge drinking culture within the army. As an example, about 8 out of 10 Vietnam veterans seeking PTSD treatment have issues with alcohol abuse. The knock-on effects on their mental health are frightening. In America alone, an average of 44 veterans will take their lives every day. Sadly, the strong link between alcohol abuse and grief is costing people their lives around the world, and it's happening right now. Clearly, the issues with mental health and suicide rates are far bigger than simply alcohol dependence. We could talk all day about therapy, drugs, vulnerability, and the importance of communicating emotions. But let us focus predominantly on how not to turn to the bottle. The only control you have is over that first drink. We talk a lot about playing it forward. Getting drunk, having drugs, shame, possible loss of your sobriety, all of that is connected. Having drugs. Having drugs. Very much spoken to someone who's not done a lot of drugs, isn't having, it? Have you been Doing having, the drugs. Have you been having the drugs again? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Don't drink to forget. That is an important one. Stay sober to remember and pay tribute to the one that you have lost. I love this one, Hamish. It's because you are just washing them away, washing their past, washing their lives away with alcohol if you're drinking to remember them. It's just a waste of time. Just another hangover. And then you've got another hangover to deal with grief. So you've got grief and a hangover. I can't imagine a worse combination. It's probably like doing shots and having a glass of wine. (laughs) Like the worst, most sick-making combo. If you feel like shit physically and mentally on a Sunday morning and then you're dealing with the death of someone on top, that is not going to be good for you people. Feel the feels. It might be the hardest thing you ever have to go through, but you will get through it. Drinking does not help at any stage. Processing the emotions and sitting in them, no matter how challenging and painful they may seem, is right in the end. And we talk a lot about the fact that that will probably speed up the process. Totally. It's just going to hit pause. Yeah, totally. Remember, you're not alone in your grief. Sober you can help your friends and family who also need support in this difficult time. Yes, I like that one. 
Yeah. It's not just about you. Yeah, putting it out there. And like, if you're feeling all right and you're sober and then helping others is, is the best thing you can do. Thinking about something else than the grief is a good way to deal with it, actually. True. Well, also, yeah. if you're grieving, there's probably a hundred other people who also grieve in that person. Yeah. And they probably need help. And drunk you is not going to help you or them. Drunk you isn't going to help anything. Give yourself time to grieve. The weight of your loss cannot be measured against anyone else's. Your grief is your own, but this doesn't mean you can't turn to others for help. What it does mean is that you are allowed to take your time to grieve and accept your feelings. Another really good tip, Hamish, is to stick to healthy eating and sleeping habits. Loss of appetite during a period of grief is extremely common. And this may not only relate to food, but also the loss of appetite for your own life. Interesting. You may also lose all sense of motivation and slip into poor eating and sleeping habits while avoiding exercise or your favourite hobbies. Try to stick to a healthy regime that involves whole foods, plenty of sleep, outdoor activities and a little bit of exercise. I know that's we're making that sound easy, yeah, but that's right. just advice. If you're feeling down and you're stuck at home and you're really going into yourself and you feel like drinking... I know it's going to feel like hard to get up and go for a walk, but it is definitely going to be the best thing you can do in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Avoid triggering situations. The truth of the matter is that you are extra vulnerable after the loss of a loved one, especially if you are a recovering addict. With this in mind, it's important to remove yourself from other types of situations that could trigger addictive behaviour. Yeah, I mean, that's hard when because actually a lot of people will be going down the pub yeah. when someone dies. It would be like we hear the news, they tell you, like, let's go down the pub and talk about it. Or, or cheer yourself up, book tickets to a festival or a concert or yeah, a gig yeah. or you know, go, go clubbing. It's amazing when you think about it how alcohol reaches into every part of us in these situations. Everyone is telling you to do it. Everywhere you go, it appears yeah. because you feel sad. So that's what people are there to cheer you up. It's so ingrained, it's frightening. In short, going through a loss is hard and can test your sobriety. Try to surround yourself with positive influences, positive people and positive situations. Avoid things that make you feel uncomfortable, unhappy or extra vulnerable. Now is the time to put your own needs first to make sure you sit with this pain rather than numb it out. I think we need to mention boundaries here. We did mention it in our friendship podcast. Even in grief, as a sober person, I think you still have to have your boundaries in place so that you don't end up sitting in a pub all day with people commiserating because you are allowed to say no even if someone has died and people may judge you for that and that's up to them. But number one thing is to keep your sobriety intact and say no if something is feeling uncomfortable for you. I'm going to reverse that a little bit here too. If you feel okay in your sobriety and you're feeling strong and don't feel like turning to the bottle after the loss of a loved one, then this is the time that your sobriety can come in helpful. You're not wasted, so you can be a pillar of support. Be the one making the rounds of tea, the shoulder to lean on, the taxi from the train station and the one cleaning the dishes after the wake. Be a healthy support, a reliable friend and the dependable force that others might need in a difficult time. Step into action and so others won't have to worry about the little things. Keeping busy like this will help you abstain and distract you from drinking. Other than turning to the bottle as a means of numbing out pain, it might also be that you turn to the bottle when you feel lonely or unsupported in your grief. I want to take this opportunity to share a few of the lessons I've learnt about grief through my other podcast. The truth is, I hope that you only experience grief a handful of times in your life. 
but you will have plenty of friends who will also experience it. So you'll probably have to help them through theirs 30, 40, 50 times throughout your life. That's a good point, Haim. If we can all improve the way we help those we love through grief, then they might never get to the point where they feel they need to turn to the bottle for support. Yeah. I've interviewed lots of friends of mine at different stages of grief, and there are a few things that came up more than once. So if you don't have time or energy, or you just can't be asked to go and listen to all of the episodes, then here are some of the top tips that I've learned through that podcast. Can you tell us what your podcast was called, Hamish? Yes, Extraordinary Ordinary People. Great. And you'll find it's a big black and white shot of my face is the, is the thing, so you can't miss it. Love your face, though. Thank you. So, yeah, the first one is don't send texts on the day they pass away. Oh, interesting. Don't do it. They yeah. get a hundred of them, probably okay. a thousand of them. And it's something that you can do when you're taking a shit. It yeah. requires no energy, no effort, no. even if it's very thought-provoking and beautifully written, they will not have that text in six months' time. Instead, here's what you're going to do. You're going to sit down and you're going to write a letter. I know that sounds dated, but there's something very important about handwritten notes. People can reread them. It brings up memories. They are more personal. It's taken you time and they can tell. So yeah, writing a letter is literally the biggest tip that I can give anyone whose friend or someone they love is going through grief. I'm aghast, Hamish, Mm -hmm. that people would send a text to someone when someone they know has died. Yeah. Is that something that happens? It. I've done it. Thinking of you thinking of you today, or I've just heard the news, I suppose, I'm so sorry. Yeah. But it depends how well you know the person that's died. Like in Facebook, yeah. if someone that I knew at school and their mum's died, for example, yeah. I might write, sorry for your loss or something like mm-hmm. that. But then I suppose it depends on your level of connection with that person. Yes and no. I actually think some of the letters that I've written are to people and I don't even know their parent. And I said, I don't even know your parent. I don't know the relationship you have with them. But, you know, I know you and I love you and I'm sure mm. wherever they are, they'll be proud of the person you are. You know, so I think you can, even if you don't know them that well. Mm, Actually, lovely. I often think that people that I've spoken to have said it's the people that they least expected who really came to the fore and helped them through their grief. It's not always your best mate or your mm. brother or sister or whatever. Sometimes there's, there are people who are better at it than others. And that's sort of what I was trying to get at in my podcast is how can we get better at helping people through grief? My mum um, had an experience when she was uh, a young mum, when when we were little, a, a lady at work, her husband had died and nobody went round to visit this lady and she was on her own with her grief and my mum didn't know her that well and turned up at her house to say, are you okay? Like, do you need anything? Can I cook you dinner? Or how are you? And the woman broke down and said, you are the first mm. person who has come round to my house to talk to me about my husband's death and I don't hardly know you. None of my friends have been around. It was the days before text messages and yeah. things like that. And my mum since then has instilled that in me. She tells that story quite a lot and said, if anyone dies, just all always reach out put your hand up and say are you okay no matter what it is even if it's just to bring them a cup of tea yes always ask people want you to ask well, that was going to be my next point so my next point was be proactive okay so you don't say you know i'm here if you need me don't or give me a call you know when you feel like it give me a call don't make them make the decision okay great Instead, yeah cook and deliver food turn up on their front doorstep for a walk buy them a ticket to something even if they don't feel like going and don't come you ma- you're making the decisions you're going hey we're going out for dinner and they might say i don't want you tonight but mm. at least you're offering it they don't want to come up with a plan they don't want to have to do that work so do it for them and don't be offended if they say no that's my second tip my third tip is 
and I think this sort of plays into that idea of no one turning up to her house, is we feel awkward or uncomfortable or feel like we're intruding. And we feel particularly that if we tell a story either about the loved one of theirs that passed, or let's say it's your dad and I tell a story about my dad, then you feel guilty or you feel uncomfortable. It is so important to keep telling those stories, keep their memories alive through sharing the stories. Not once have I ever told a story about a friend of mine's parents that died and they've been sad. Mm. It's always been a moment to like laugh and feel like they're still here. And often in my story, they don't know, like you weren't there when this, me and your dad did this or me and your mum did this. And it's always, always good to keep telling those stories. So don't feel uncomfortable or awkward to bring it, bring that person up in front of them. I think, Hamish, the way that you're telling these is like, it's, we're not only talking about people in their sobriety dealing with grief, we're, we're talking about you telling these, giving you these tips so that you can perhaps help someone else not drink that in this situation as well. Yeah, That is my point, yeah. Neither of us have gone through a lot of grief, but we have got loads of friends, all who have, and we can help them. And then when, when it's our turn to go through the grief, they'll be there to help us. Yeah. My last point, and this is probably the most important one, I'm useless with a diary, like a phone diary. So I have a written one. And what I do is I write down my friends, the people that they love's anniversaries. So 14th of December is this one. I write them down. Then at the end of the year, I carry them on to next year. And then two weeks before that anniversary is coming up. The anniversary of their death. Of the death. Okay, yeah. Then I will get something ready I'll write a letter or I'll send a gift or whatever it is or, or that day is okay to send a text I'm not talking about the first year mm. everyone does it the first year I'm talking about the second third fourth fifth sixth even if it's just a text thinking of you today or it's a letter or like one I sent my mum over to give them a hug because she lost her dad and it's not just anniversaries so anniversaries if you're doing it from the second year onwards you're probably one of very very few but if you're also sending a text Father's Day Big one. Yeah, thinking Christmas of you. Christmas Day, yeah. big one. Yeah. Their, if you can remember their birthday, big one. Mm. Because those are the days. I think Father's Day we think is about our dad. It's 10% about your dad. It is 90% about everyone who doesn't have a dad, in mm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I send like 20 texts on Father's Day. Oh, hey, Miss, you are lovely. Well, I think that is, that is honestly the best thing you can do, is remembering the dates that they're going to be missing there mum or their dad or whoever it is to write oh, in their diary and then I tell you it'll be a sad day when your diary looks full of those yeah. won't it when you get yeah. older the older you get and the more of those dates your diary becomes full of those mm. dates isn't that sad yeah, to think about true. I mean that will happen eventually that that all those dates and then it will be you that's gone Hamish yeah and I'll be one of the diary dates <laughs> you'll be my diary date <laughs> I'll probably be yours actually <laughs> we've spoken a lot about going to each other's funerals yeah, let's, let's, let's stop that conversation <laughs> I'll go before you I think Oh dear. Are you scared of death, Hamish? I mean, I I love hearing about all of that stuff, but and we're we're talking about it very whimsically here. Yeah. But if we come down to it, are you scared about your own death? I think I've I've never really been scared of my own death until I had a child. Mm. And now I'm aware of the of the damage of not being brought up with both parents around. So yeah. now I I'm more frightened of it, maybe slightly more cautious. But I've also had this constant, slightly dark thought that I think I will die young. 
Oh, God. And I actually, I think that is, on the one hand, it's quite a dark thought and I don't know where it comes from. Mm. On the other hand, it's not a bad way to live your life because it's yes. more of that like being in the present and make the most of today. And, yeah. you know, I might not be around, I'm 100 years old, so yeah. go for it now, do all the things you want to do. So I think it can be a good and bad thing. But, but basically, I'm not terrified of death, but I do not have a son, so I'm more aware of it. Before you had a son, did you do a parachute jump? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you do a parachute jump now? Mm, no. No, I, no, I don't either. think the parachute That enough. changes, yeah. yeah. That sort of feeling of being invincible changes. Because not only that, I think I'm, I, the only reason I'm scared of death is, is because I don't want my children to grow up without a yeah, mum. Yeah. And because I don't want to miss out on them, on their big milestones. I yeah. want to see them get married and I want to see, I want to know they're okay before I go. Mm-hmm. It's a very, parenty motherly thing to want and it sounds quite selfish but that would be the only reason I would want to live to a hundred was to be able to see my kids grow and change and be make sure they're happy before I pop my clogs Mm -hmm. it is a really interesting topic and it is awful to think about our own demise but it's something that does pop up when you get sober because you do start to feel more invincible and you start to live your life to the fullest and I think you become less scared of death in sobriety because you feel like you're really living Mm -hmm. and I think when the time comes when no matter when it was you will have felt like well I gave it a good bloody go I didn't waste it I wasn't hung over I wasn't drunk I did that for 25 years and then I spent the rest of my life living it to the fullest and I think by the time I die I'll go well there you go I did a good job yeah and that's that's all you can hope isn't it and Uh, you're in less dangerous situations are you you're drinking it could be every weekend there's like slightly you're close to death yeah whereas now yeah we're, I mean, we're in bed at seven o'clock. Yeah, There's not yeah, much that can go yeah, wrong. Exactly. That's so true. Do you think if someone very close to you died, Hamish, that there's a chance you might drink? Yeah. So I thought about this a lot, this question, and it's a horrible question. It is a horrible question. With. Sorry, everybody. It's a bit of a horrible topic today, but we do like to it's delve important. into these. It's important. It's yeah. Important. So my initial thought was no, I wouldn't drink again. No, I'm sober now. And even if someone died I'm not going to drink but then I sat with it and I was like if it was a parent my child my child and my wife in a car crash oh god um, you know if we really go to the extreme I honestly or my brother I've always had a fear that my brother was gonna that's my, my biggest fear in life is that my brother will will die now it's probably my son as well but yeah constantly if, there, if there's a film and it's a sibling dying that's, oh, yeah yeah there's, there's a scene in Titanic where these two brothers are on the top bunk of a bunk bed hugging as the water oh. comes up from there that's the, my, my brother dying is my biggest fear and I think actually you know as much as I'd like to say I'll never drink if someone that close to me died I really have no idea how I would react I'm, yeah. I'm now more aware that alcohol would serve no purpose in that situation I know that it wouldn't help me at all it wouldn't help me get through my grief it wouldn't numb it out in the way that you think it's numbing you out so I feel better equipped to deal with it sober than I would have been before when having a drink was an option mm. if having drink was an option and this happened I would get hammered mm. now that it's not an option I feel like I wouldn't I, I'm confident that I wouldn't yeah but I cannot say categorically no. If all of my family died in some horror accident, that yeah. I would, that I wouldn't. I mean, the same here. I mean, you hope you wouldn't, but I, you know, you don't know how that feels. And like, yeah. of course, why? Why would I? Like, why would I ever drink again? I wouldn't. I can say ninety nine point nine percent. There is a very, very minimal chance that I would drink again. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but you can't say, you don't know how that feels until yeah. it feels, until it happens. And hopefully that will never happen. But I do understand why people relapse in this situation. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. It is a reason why people would go back to drinking. And we hope today that by us talking about it, there's less chance of that happening. But for me, I definitely want to respect that person's life, as we said, by making sure that I live my life to the full. And by doing that, that means not drinking. I just want to grasp onto each day and make sure I enjoy myself. But I look, you know, things change, don't they? Like the kids annoy you, trip over a hot wheel. Spill a bag of rice on the floor. Yeah, life goes on. Life goes on, doesn't it? And the stresses and strains of life continue. But I just try and own every beautiful moment and hope that none of those things ever happen. We all have to live in hope, don't we? We have to hope that we won't drink again and we hope that nothing bad happens to anybody we know and, and just hope for the best and try and live in the now. And that's that's how we can get through each day in life and in sobriety. Well, yeah. I think that's the thing with grief is, you know, you might never get over the loss of someone. No. But it will get better and you'll learn to live with it. Yeah. You know, you never you don't want to forget the person often. So you, often people say, I don't want to get over my brother, daughter, dad, whoever it is who's passed away. And you feel like if I got over it, then I'm forgetting them. So mm. it's not about getting over them. No. It's about living life to the full and doing them, yeah, doing them proud and still learning the things that you learned from them and celebrating their life. Um, and it just takes a long time. It can take yeah. ages. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, nothing wrong with not getting over a death. That's mm. okay. Some people you are never, ever going to get over the loss of them. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just becomes part of you and you have to live with that grief on a day-to-day basis. You know, they say that you can process it. But I think for some, like the loss of a child, you mm. are never, ever going to get over that. And you have to learn to live with a certain level of sadness, yeah. um, which is which is terrible. But the best thing you can do is to try and live your life in the best way that you possibly can and be there for the ones that you love. We've got a beautiful quote to finish here, which is, Although it's difficult today to see beyond the sorrow, may looking back in memory help comfort you tomorrow. Yeah, it's lovely, Hamish. No, I don't even know where I found that or who said it, but it's really nice, isn't it? It's very nice, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that it was a bit of a depressing episode today, but we love to cover all the topics, don't we, Hamish? Yeah, even death, even though it's frightening and scary. Just try not to think about it too much and definitely don't drink if it does happen to anybody you know because it's not going to help the situation. Be that strong pillar and help support the ones you love. That is our advice. We love you. We love you. (laughs) We love you so much. (laughs) But don't come to us with any problems. Oh, no. no. We can't cope. We've got enough of our own. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling. Contact a local doctor. Find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know.
Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? No, it's probably ones with moody, moody sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yes, good, yes. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. <laughs> You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audiobook will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry, and cringe, and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. 
Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs>